Please do take out your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 73. We'll be reading together from Psalm 73. If you have one of our church Bibles, that will be on page 455. If not, it will be somewhere near the middle of your Bible. Reading Psalm 73, reading from the beginning all the way through to the end of that psalm. Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1, this is what Holy Scripture says, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are feet fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the days long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought about how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever come to your senses like you're in an argument with your spouse and you realize it's over like not putting the mayonnaise lid jar on properly and you're like, this is ridiculous. And you're like, I I yield, argument over, this is not worth an argument. You came to your senses. 
Or maybe you're playing ultimate Frisbee. Pat, you guys need to work something out there? Okay, sorry. Sorry for hitting so close to home. Maybe you're, maybe you're playing ultimate Frisbee and, uh, and you know, you're both going for the Frisbee, you run into the opponent, you both clock your heads and you sort of, you, you sort of come to on the ground and as the stars pass and your vision returns, you come to your senses. Or maybe you spend months and months, years even, thinking about some particular issue, some big world problem, and then all of a sudden, in one moment, you realize it's not that important at all, and you come to your senses. Well, here's a psalm, Psalm 73, about a man who came to his senses. This is what he says, verse 25. There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Can you say that? He's talking about God, and he says, there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Now, this verse comes at the end of a remarkable psalm. In it, the author, Asaph, is recounting a time, really a time he almost lost his faith, like turned his back on God permanently. He was looking around at the world and, it's, and, and kind of saying, why is it that everybody in the world has lots of money, lots of ease, lots of no problems in their life, and here I am trying to keep my heart pure, trying to live for God, and I'm saddled with problems and difficulties. Sound familiar? Sometimes the psalm is referred to as the envy of the wicked. And he's dealing with all of this stuff and wondering, why is it so hard for me to follow the Lord? And then he goes into the temple, and in the temple he sees the sacrifices and he remembers who he was, what he deserved, and what God had done for him. And I think Asaph lets out this huge sigh of relief and writes the psalm. He comes to his senses And as he muses on this fact that he had stayed faithful to God, he had come so dangerously close to not being faithful to the Lord. As he muses on that fact, he says in verse 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. (laughs) You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. The only reason Asaph stayed true to God is that God never let go of him. Do I have an amen? (laughs) Wow, I didn't really actually think you were going to say amen. That was impressive. Hmm. When Asaph entertained his temptations and envied the wicked, he says, I was acting like an animal. That's his self-assessment. I was like a brute before you, an animal. But God pulls him back from the cliff's edge and he comes to his senses and he writes this psalm in order to warn you and warn me not to fall prey to the same mistake. And at the end of the psalm where he's telling us, you know what, the end of the wicked is actually quite awful. (laughs) And the end for us is actually quite remarkable. At the end of that psalm, we find the words that make up our church motto. Uh, we say that we exist, if you know it, you can say it with me, to delight in God, to the glory of God, for the good of all people. And that comes right from here, Psalm 75, verse 25, 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord Yahweh my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Once Asaph comes to his senses, he delights in his God. And his example provides us with a picture of what a person who delights in God looks like, what, what that person does, what, what she, what's her outlook on life. In other words, this is what we want to aspire to in this grand idea of being people who delight in God. I've given you three descriptors here, three aspirations if you want to think of them in that way. Who delights in the Lord? Those who accurately discern who God is, those who appropriately display God's value, and those who actively distribute God's message. Let's look briefly at each one. First, people who delight in God accurate, uh, delight in God accurately discern who God is. They understand that God is the only God and that this God opens himself to relationship with people. Well, people who delight in God recognize the uniqueness of God and the absolute wonder of being a human being who's in a relationship with their creator. Whom have I, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? That is not mere resignation. That's not Asaph going, well, there are no other gods. <laughs> I, guess I, got a, I guess I got you. No, this is joy, right? This is wonder. There is a God, and Asaph says, not only that, he is mine. He is my possession. I have a relationship with him. Whom have I in heaven but you? He might have said, there's a God in heaven, and that would have been fine. He could have said, there's only one God in heaven. That would have been great. But he speaks about his God in heaven, the one who holds him now, the one who's going to guide him tomorrow, and the one that's going to carry him along unto the last day. This is his God. Is he your God? Do you know God personally? You cannot delight in a person that you don't know. You know, the only possible way to know God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. I love how Jesus made this so clear. You, you can't dance around this. Jesus said, John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There ain't no wiggle room there. There is only one way to God. If you went to the mall during COVID, maybe you had the experience I had. I went to where I usually went into the mall, which usually means like once every two years. I don't go to the mall a lot, but I needed something at, the, at one of the stores in the mall, and so I went to the place I normally went in. It said closed. You have to go to the other door because there was only one door to get in the COVID mall, and you had to go in the one door. And so I'm driving around the mall, and I'm looking for the COVID door. And I finally found the COVID door. There's the door I got in the mall. Now i got to walk all the way around to the other store. Why can I? Okay, there were the rules. I understand. I followed the rules. There was only one door that would accept people. Jesus is saying, I'm like that mall door. You have to come to him in order to get to the Father. 
There are no other ways. There are no back doors. There are no hidden entrances. There are no tunnels. There is just one door. You might have tried all the old doors you used to use in order to get into the mall, but trust me, they were locked. I might have tried a couple. <laughs> and you can try all kinds of crazy ways to get to God, but if that way does not include Jesus, the way is locked and blocked. There is no way to get to God except through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to God the Father except through Him. Now, if you've turned away from all of your sins and trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross, then you have entered and you can say, verse 25, whom have I in heaven? but you. Not only is God unique in being the only God, and not only do some people have a real relationship with Him, but there are others who do not, because He is also the one who judges sinners. Look at verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. I don't think there's been a time, a moment in human history where people who don't know God yet have heard the news about his judgment and gone, oh, that's good, great, awesome, that encourages me. Put it on a Hallmark card. No, nobody, no. This news is never nice to unbelieving ears. Because if you understand what God is saying here, he is saying, if you're not careful, you're gonna spend your whole life covering up your sins blaming other people for your sins, telling yourself that your sins are not as bad as everybody thinks. And then you will be judged eternally by God for that, for all of your sins. But like the psalmist Asaph said, verse two, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. That's a poetic way of, of, the, of Asaph saying, look, I had almost crashed and burned my life into the eternal judgment of hell forever. If God had not intervened, I would have sinned against him in a terrible way. Verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I will speak thus. Speak what? What's the thus? Verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Remember verse 1? Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And he was about to say, you know what? Keeping your heart clean is a big, fat, ugly waste of time. Because look, look at the wicked. They get the easy life and we get the hard life. If I had said thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. If I had looked around and said, following God is vanity, it's a waste of time, that was akin to saying there is no God at all. It would have been an awful sin, and he would have been judged for that sin. But as we've said, God has made a way to be spared that judgment. And it is quite simple, really. God judged his own son on the cross. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was making himself a substitute in the place of those who put their trust in him. That's the gospel, isn't it? And the 
gospel is good news for tired ears. There's a way to be right with God forever. And if you have truly repented of your sins and you have put all your trust and confidence in Christ, then of course you have been saved by God and you love God. And now as you live your Christian life out under the sun, you're going to have to fight like Asaph to keep your heart loving God, to keep your heart delighting in God, because the world is constantly putting out lures of temptation saying, actually, real happiness is here. But people who delight in God accurately discern who God is. Not only that, secondly, people who delight in God appropriately display God's value. Verse 25, the latter half of the verse, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. These are, these are remarkable statements. Asaph is telling us, God is everything to me. I mean, a little while ago, he was moaning and groaning about not having a cottage in a speedboat, right? It's like, the wicked have all the fun toys. I got nothing. But when he comes to his senses, he says, you know what? Nothing compares to God, to knowing God, to loving God. He says, if I, if I hold up anything, anything of value beside God, there's no comparison. Speedboat, no comparison. Cottage, no comparison. Spouse, no comparison. More money, no comparison. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My real delight is in God himself because there is nothing of greater value than God himself. This is some of what Asaph is getting at with this phrase, God is the strength of my heart. His heart, his inner person. Remember, that inner person was really close to complete failure, but God held him up. God kept him spiritually alive. God himself was Asaph's greatest good and his highest delight. When I was dating Susan, I remember when we, were, we went to the same university, and I remember I would be walking around campus trying to find her. This is hard to imagine, but there were no cell phones. And find friends was just like you had to go find a friend. And so there'd be these times, I'm like, where is she? And I'd be like walking and checking out all the buildings, the normal haunts, places she would be. And I remember this one time in particular, I had been looking for a long time, and all I found was like Joel and Wiley. I don't, like, I love Joel and Wiley, but I don't, I don't, they're not who I really love. And so my heart is set on finding her. And finally, I looked down a road, and she'd been on this long walk, and I see her coming up this road. There she was. My heart was strengthened because my love was found. The one I delighted in most of all was there. My soul's delight strengthened my heart. Asaph's taking that idea and magnifying it a thousand times. He says, God is the strength of my heart and the primary object of my delight and desire. Can you say that? That God is your chief delight, your greatest happiness? Does your heart ache when he seems distant from you? Do you persevere in prayer and yearning and pleading when he seems hard to find? People who delight in God 
accurately discern who God is, they appropriately display God's value. Number three, people who delight in God actively distribute God's message. If you'll amuse me for a moment, I will continue on with my remembrances of dating Susan. <laughs> you know, when, when we were finally a couple, it was official, whatever, you know, whatever your tradition is, somehow it becomes official. When that finally happened, and uh, I'd been waiting a long time, when that finally happened, I was not ashamed of that. <laughs> I was very happy to tell people. I was very happy to walk beside her. I was very happy to sit beside her. I was very happy to give off all the signals that the two of us are together. There was no shame. I cannot speak on her behalf. <laughs> hmm. Asaph is excited to tell the world all about the Lord, his delight. Verse 28. For me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord Yahweh, covenant name of God. It goes all the way back to verse 1. God is good to Israel. I have made the, the Lord Yahweh, our God, my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Men that make God their refuge find God's presence to be a place of goodness and mercy. And that means you're eager to tell other people about Him. And the heart of the psalm here is the grace of God. Back in verse 1 when he says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Why does he say Israel? Because they are the people that God rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They're, they're the descendants of Abraham with whom God had made a promise, a covenant. And these covenant people all agreed, God is good to Israel. He rescued us. But clearly he means the true Israel, the real Israel, not merely the nation of Israel. How do I know that? Because of what he says in the second half of verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. Do you know who's pure in heart? Those who have had their sins forgiven. Those who have been saved by the grace of God. Those who have been rescued by Jesus. Those who have admitted their hearts need repairing. Has your heart been repaired? For me, it was near, it was, it, for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord Yahweh my refuge that I may tell of all your works. When God saves a person, they have to tell other people about it. Some news is just too good to keep to yourself. And you're going to want to tell about all his works to all the people because they are all good and he is good. And there is nothing better in life than being happy in him. So delight in God accurately discern who God is. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Delight in God to the glory of God. Appropriately display His value. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Delight in God to the glory of God for the good of all people. Actively distribute His message. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Have you come to your spiritual senses yet? Has God been knocking on your noggin, trying to wake you up spiritually, and draw you back from all the trinkets of the world that are just eating up all your attention, all your heart loyalties? Well, if that's what he's doing, friend, then run back to the open arms of Jesus and delight in your God to the glory of God. It is never too late to change how you live and who you love. Let's pray together.
So Father, help us to be these kind of people who can say with Asaph, whom have I in heaven but you? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.